0: You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. We, we do as a church want to celebrate what you're doing in the life of this church. We want to thank you, Father, for uh, just how you've blessed us with this facility. We thank you, Father, for the area for our children. We thank you for the Vacation Bible School that's been able to be taking place inside this building instead of outside or at the Y this year. It's, it's awesome. We thank you for that, Lord. And uh, we thank you for the student space. We thank you for just how you keep pouring blessing into our life as a church and the prayers you're answering. We pray, Father, that you will just open our hearts now as we open up your word. And I pray that as we read from the Bible, Father, your word, that, that you'll really speak to our lives. Help us, help show us how we can live out our faith together. Show us how we can live out and do life together as we really take to heart some important teachings from your word. So we just ask, Father, that you'll bless this time and your spirit will be at work powerfully. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this weekend we're beginning a short and yet I believe a very important two-week message series entitled Life Together. As we prayed about this summer and and we are excited about our summer plans and some of the themes that we're going to be seeking to develop this summer uh, here in the life of the church and how that will play out and, and we want to encourage you to come back next weekend because we're going to be unveiling some of those plans even uh, next weekend. And yet uh, we, we thought before we get into all those things coming down the road, we thought it would be important for us to just to take a couple of weeks and to be reminded as Jesus followers to remember the biblical emphasis of what it means to do life together in the church family. So we're gonna be talking about that in this series. And by the way, I love uh, doing life with others here at Southwest. I love doing life together with our ministry staff. And uh, as, uh, just I'm grateful for each person that's on our ministry staff. And, and more than any other time in the history of our church, we've been working together and brainstorming and praying and planning these message series together. And it's just been really, really encouraging. And, and when we planned out the summer, we we identified this two-week series on life together. And so the, some of the staff are just really good at coming up with uh, Titles for messages, and uh, and so. when we planned out the rest of the summer, they said, "Roger, we're just going to leave the titles of this series to you. It's only two weeks." So I mustered all the creative juices in me, and we've got "Life Together" part one this week, and "Life Together" part two next week. Okay, that's about as good as I can do. Don't you? Aren't you grateful others? craft the other titles. But but we're going to look at this important theme for, for a couple of weeks. And after we'd already made a commitment to go down this road, uh, Andrew Beal, our student minister, loaned me a book that he had read that he spoke very highly of. It's a book entitled Life Together. And it's written by one of my favorite authors and somebody I really admire, a German theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I've been devouring this book this past week, and I'm going to share a couple of things I've learned from the book as we go together into this material. It's a, this is a thin book, but it's dense, and there's just a lot of good things in it, and I highly recommend it. But the very first line of Bonhoeffer's book is, he quotes Psalm 133 verse 1, and this is how it reads, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. I love this verse. And in my life, I've experienced both the absence of unity within a church family, and I've also experienced unity in a church family and a church staff. And, and it, it is, I, I echo the psalmist's words, it truly is good and pleasant when there is unity in the life of the church. And by the way, unity is something that's difficult to measure. It's, it's kind of hard to quantify. It's hard to come up with a metric. How do you measure the sense of unity? But yet, it's something that when it's absent, you can sense it. Sometimes you can just sense it in the atmosphere when people aren't unified. It's also something that when it's present, you can sense too. There's just that sense when you walk in a room, there's an intangible, and yet it's it truly makes a difference in the life of the church. One of the things that I'm most grateful for at this season in my life is the incredible unity that I feel that we are experiencing as a church we 're experiencing it in our ministry staff and in our leadership team and and the congregation as a whole and i 'm very, very grateful for that and, I, and and i I believe that a key to the unity that we 're experiencing right now as a church is is because of what our elders are praying for regularly. We've been blessed here at Southwest with four elders. And if you don't know who they are, let me just introduce you to them real quick. Uh, this is Cal Town and his wife, Lynn. Cal's one of our elders. We also have Jordan Barnhart and his wife, Tina. Um, and we have Lee Wagner, who's in France. Him and Sherry are in France on vacation, but Lee and Sherry. Lee has served as elder for a number of years. And Joe Garland and his wife, Cindy. And I have the privilege to meet with these men. Uh, Once a month, we meet together as a a team and I meet with them. And we're always praying for people in the church needs and people that we're aware of that have special needs. And I'm just, I love their heart, their shepherd's heart. And by the way, we're we're looking and praying for more people that will step up and say, hey, I, I, I want to give that kind of care others here at Southwest, because as the church grows, we want more and more shepherds among us looking after others. Uh, But one of the things that really strikes me every time I meet with our elders, whether it's a team or if I meet individually, like this week I had the privilege to meet with two of them just individually, and we met, we talked, we prayed together, is every time I pray with these guys, they're always praying for the unity of the church family. And I think one of the reasons why we're experiencing this season of unity and I'm so grateful for is because of the faithful prayers of our elders. And I want to invite you to join them and join me in praying that God will continue to bless us as a church with unity. Because you see, This unity is going to be vital as we plan, as we dream, as we pray for God to continue to guide us, lead us into a vision for the future. In fact, we've been spending a lot of time in our leadership uh, talking and praying about what is God's vision over the next three to five years for Southwest Church? We're spending a lot of time praying about that. We really want to get a sense of where is God leading us? And and then we want to make sure that we're putting our energies and our resources and our efforts toward that end. And I've asked you before, I'm going to keep asking pray for God to make that clear. Because you see, I'm convinced that we will discover and realize that vision as we continue to pull together and pray together in unity. Now also in preparing for this message, I came across what's typically described as an African proverb, and it goes this way. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you wanna go far, go together. One of the mistakes I've made in my life and in my leadership in the past is at times I've been impatient and, and, and longing for us as a church to take that next step that I've ran ahead you know, sometimes because I wanna go fast, but I think I'm learning that the key for us to really go far as a church, to have a far reaching and lasting impact is for us to go together. We see in the Bible that this is a key, to the effectiveness of the early church, the earliest Jesus followers, they came together and there was this incredible unity within the, the church at its beginning. And that's why they were able to impact the entire world with the message of the good news of Christ. And we see that from the very beginning of the church, at the birth of the church. And you can read about the very beginning of the church in the Bible, in a book of the Bible called the Acts. Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles. And in the book of Acts, in chapter 1, it rehearses how that Jesus, after he was crucified, was resurrected. And after he'd spent about 40 days on the earth with his closest followers and even at one time 500 of them, he then commissioned them to go into all the world and he then ascended to be with the Father. And in Acts chapter two, they're praying and then in a powerful way, the church begins and Peter preaches the first message and 3,000 people respond and are baptized into Christ and now we've got the church. And let's read about, In its infancy, in Acts 2, verse 42. Listen to this description of the early churches. They did life together, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. I love this description of the early church. The next time you have someone say to you, well, my experience with the church is it's boring. It's not very exciting. You need to read to them this passage. That's not the way the church was designed to be. The church from its very infancy was, was it was exciting. There's this sense of wonder. There's this awe of what God is doing. And you sense that there was great joy as they did life together. No wonder there was great joy. It was the birth of the church. It was the spiritual rebirth of 3,000 souls at the very beginning there as the church gets started. No wonder there was great joy. No wonder there was celebration. My wife Jane and I are learning about the joy and celebration of a new birth. If you haven't heard, uh, and last hour, everybody laughed because I've been talking to everybody about this. But my wife and I now have our second granddaughter and I'm not gonna share pictures every week. So I don't want people dreading, okay, we gotta sit through more photos of Roger's grandkids. But, uh, but I've got pictures on my phone. And so if you wanna see them, uh, meet me in the lobby and I'll show you some really good ones, okay, from this past week of Aaron. Uh, but we have two granddaughters and we love and we've been celebrating Uh, the birth, the new birth in our family. What we see here, that's what's happening in the life of the church. But we see there's four spiritual disciplines from the very beginning that the church, the followers of Jesus were devoted to. Over the next two weeks, we're going to try to look at these four Spiritual disciplines. This week, we'll look at two. Next week, we'll look at the other two. But let's, if you're taking notes, you can either circle in your message notes or you can write in the four blanks these four practices. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. We're gonna talk about that today. They were devoted to the fellowship. Next week, we'll talk about they were devoted to the breaking of bread and they were devoted to prayer. Well, let's dig in to these four spiritual Disciplines. The first is the apostles' teaching. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you might wonder, why weren't these first Jesus followers devoted to Jesus' teaching? I think that would be a good question. Well, they were. But as we mentioned earlier, Jesus is no longer with them physically. He's no longer uh, physically present on the earth. But in his wisdom, he had called 12 these initial followers of Jesus, we call them apostles, okay? And these guys were inspired by God and the spirit of Christ to write down scripture, okay? And uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but Jesus never wrote a book down, okay? It'd be kind of cool if Jesus wrote a book, but see, Jesus was so busy living out the book. He is the living word, and so when we look at his life described in the Gospels, we see God's word lived out. But after he left the earth, he, he inspired his apostles to write down his teachings and to write down what it means to follow him. Let's look at how one of those guys, a guy named Peter, the apostle Peter, described it. In 2 Peter 3, one of the two letters that we have in the Bible that Peter wrote, he says this, this is my second letter to you, dear friends. And in both of them, I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the Holy prophets said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. You see, Jesus is speaking to us through the apostles' teaching. And in this text, we see in a nutshell, a description of the Bible. The part of the Bible that was written before Jesus came to the earth is what we commonly call the Old Testament. Okay, the Old Testament was written down by prophets who foretold of Jesus coming. And they spoke into the lives of the people that lived before Christ. After Christ lived on the earth, then his apostles wrote down scripture for us to know what it means to follow after him. So we have the prophets and the apostles and we have scripture. Now, one of the things that's emphasized by the apostles' teaching in the New Testament is this idea of doing life together. In my in my research, I I uh, looked up two phrases because I wanted to see how often I you know, just I've heard a lot of teaching and I've taught on these two phrases, but but I just did a search. How many times are these two phrases used in Scripture? So I looked up the phrase, one another. I found that it was used 60 times, 60 plus times in the New Testament. I looked up the phrase, each other. I found it was used 40 plus times. So over 100 times in the New Testament, uh, followers of Jesus are taught, to live out their faith with one another, their live out their following of Jesus with each other. You see, we're called to do life together. We're going to look, as time permits, at a few of those verses. We won't take time to look at all 100, but we're going to look at a few of those of what it means to do life together, and specifically following these apostles teaching okay let's look at the first one it's in Ephesians chapter 5 this was written by the apostle Paul and this is what he had to say he says therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is and by the way let me just pause here for a moment it's easy in life to get off track it's easy in life to start going down a path that's not good for us And that's why it's so important for us as a church and it's so important in our individual lives that we're constantly going back to the Bible, to the apostles' teaching, to the prophets, to to reading God's word to see what is God's will for our life. It's important that we make sure we're in tune with that. He says, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. He goes on to say specifically, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. We see this emphasis in this passage of being wise, understanding the Lord's will is, but part of that is learning what it means to live out this one another way that we describe as Christianity. One of the spiritual disciplines emphasized here in this text is the importance of Jesus followers coming together to sing together. Have you ever wondered? I mean, we, we give a good portion of our meetings together to singing. Have you ever wondered why churches spend time singing together? Well, first of all, it's commanded. It's taught in Scripture. And and But one, one of the reasons that I really thought about a lot this week is I wrestled with this verse and the next verse that we're going to look at and it's something that Bonhoeffer really... Because I was surprised how much of his book, he, in Life Together, he talks about singing with one another and singing to each other. Is He talks about the importance in singing of really coming together and harmonizing our voices. You see, there's something we can learn from that of how we live out our lives. You know, part of being able to harmonize... Now, I struggle personally, but I've been told, okay, the key to harmonize is listening to others as you sing along with them. One of the things I appreciate so much about our creative arts minister, Larry Adams, by the way, Larry had a birthday this week. Uh, I think he turned 32. Is that right? Is that right, Amy? Okay, all right. I don't think he's 32, but, but I'm going to say he's 32 because I know how much older I am than him, and so I like him being 32. But anyways, uh, you know, one of the things I really appreciate about Larry is that he has this incredible music talent, and yet I love his heart that he's always looking for ways to highlight other voices on the praise team and having others take the lead in songs. More than any worship minister I've ever been able to to have the privilege to serve with, and I've served with some really good ones. But I think Larry, more than anybody I've ever served with, understands that it's not about him. It's about him leading us to sing together. And I appreciate how he, He does that. In fact, here's a little secret. I have to to urge Larry, you know, when it comes Christmas and Easter time, I say, now Larry, make sure you sing one of those songs that your voice really, really resonates with because he has such a talent and everybody always says, oh man, that was awesome. But I have to urge him to do that because he's not focused on himself. I'm so grateful for that. You see, I i 've thought a lot about this week about the importance of singing to, with one another i 'm so grateful that this passage says, "Sing and make music in your heart because i 've had people sit near me that says that what comes out of my voice is not necessarily clarified as music but But it comes from my heart, okay? And so, because of that, I sing out with all of my heart in our times of worship. And I think I serve as an example that even if you have a terrible voice, you can put into practice this teaching of sing with one another. Some of you, I think, hold back because you're self conscious. But see, I want to urge you this weekend to be obedient to God's word. And when we Come together, don't view the music just as the opening act, okay? Or just the time to get your kids settled in in, uh, children's classes and then get some coffee and then finally get in here. But to view that time of music as a vital time for us together as a church. And sing out with all your heart because there's something powerful that happens When we do that, let's keep reading about that in Colossians 3 verse 15. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful, let the message of Christ, you might wanna underline that, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now here, in addition to singing, this passage emphasized the importance of letting the message of Christ dwell in our hearts as we sing and speak to one another. One of the things I love about many of the praise and choruses that we sing here at southwest is that a lot of them come from scripture themselves from the psalms here we're told to sing the psalms to one another and i don't know if you've thought about that when we sing these songs to each other we're reminding each other the truths of god's word we're reminding each other of the promises that are found in god's word Now, in addition to singing, we also are called to speak God's word into each other's lives. It says for us to teach and admonish one another. And, you know, here's the deal. I I thought about, okay, I know what teach means, but do I have a good feel of what it means to admonish someone? Do you have a good feel of what it means to admonish someone, letting Christ's word dwell in you and then admonish someone else? So I looked up the word admonish. This is what the dictionary says. To admonish someone means to warn or reprimand someone firmly. So this isn't an encouragement. This is a, a warning or even a reprimand. To advise or urge someone earnestly. Now, the example the dictionary gives is this. She admonished him to drink no more than one glass of wine. That was interesting after the previous passage we read. And it goes on to say, it also carries this idea, this word admonish, to warn someone of something to be avoided. Now, here's the question for you and for me. The question is, how open are we to someone teaching us or admonishing us? Here's something I've learned in life, and maybe you've learned this too. It's really hard to be objective about yourself. We have these blind spots in our life. And sometimes we come across in ways we don't mean to come across. Sometimes we do things that irritate the people that we love the most around us. And, and, you know, the truth of it is, we all need people in our lives that love us enough to speak the truth into our life. And even at times when we get off track, to admonish us. Now, personally, I appreciate when someone does that humbly, and I think that's what we're taught in Scripture, But I also appreciate when someone comes from scripture, maybe they share an example from the Bible. Maybe they actually share a Bible verse. Hey, I was reading this Bible verse and and it brought to mind something I wanted to talk to you about. There's something powerful about someone speaking God's word into your life. Now, here's the challenge for me when friends and leaders in the church do that in my life, the question I have to ask myself is, how receptive am I to that? Am I open? Am I humble? Am I willing to receive that? And here's the challenge for you. When someone has the courage to finally speak truth into your life, how do you receive it? And do you love people enough that you're willing to speak truth into their lives as well. This is so important in the church family. It's so important in our individual families. One of the things that I was inspired by Bonhoeffer's book, Living Together, he talks about the importance in the church, singing together, reading scripture together. But then he talked about the importance in your family time, speaking scripture into each other's lives. And he talked about how the importance of parents, of of reading Scripture in the morning and reading Scripture in the evening to your children. And boy, I, I thought, man, I wonder how many families here at Southwest are doing that. And what impact that would have if we would just restore emphasizing the message of Christ, not only in our relationships with each other, but in our You know, when our kids were little, uh, every year we bought them at Christmas time a new kid's Bible because we wanted it to be fresh and, and new. So we have a whole bookshelf of them if you ever want to look at some of them to get ideas. But you know, as they got older, they started getting the teen Bibles and so forth. But one of the things I regret as they got older, I quit being as intentional of speaking God's word into their life. I want to urge you, parents that still have kids at home, start doing that practice. And maybe you say, I don't even know what to say. Well, just start reading Scripture with them. There's something powerful about hearing the truth of God's Word and speaking that into our lives. Now, here at Southwest, as we talk about the next next spiritual discipline, this idea of fellowship, this idea of fellowship. And by the way, let me just go off track here just for a minute and share this because I know I'm going to run out of time to get to all the scriptures that I, so I want to say this now. Here at Southwest, we emphasize the importance of small groups. Yeah, I, I hope you've heard us talk, if you've been here more than once, I you, hope you've heard us talk about the importance of small group fellowship. You see, it's important to gather on Sunday mornings or Saturday night. That's important to sing together and to worship and, and hear from God's word. That's so important in our lives. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But it's also important that we do that more than just on the weekends, that we get together throughout the week. And so we urge and encourage people here, not just on the weekends, but to find a small group. And we've encouraged our small group leaders to make sure that that. Every time that a small group meets that we're opening God's word together. Now, sometimes I've heard people say, well, I'm going to this Bible study. We've tried not to use that terminology because, now don't get me wrong, I'm not anti-Bible study. I, I love Bible study, okay? I've got a Bible degree. I'm online trying to get another Bible degree, okay? I love Bible study. But here's the deal. I think sometimes Bible study, we get just focused on storing up information. I think we're called to something more. What we're trying to create here at Southwest is the small group environment so that when people participate in a small group with other believers, they're opening God's word, but they're speaking God's word in each other's lives, talking about how can we apply this because our goal is not just that we store up information so that we can dazzle our family members at Bible trivia or win that category on Jeopardy when Bible comes up, which I always get excited when that shows up, but... but Instead of information, the goal is transformation. And that we're part of small group fellowships that we're helping each other apply Scripture so that we are being transformed to be more like Jesus. That's the goal of our small group ministry here at Southwest. Well, let's read about what Scripture says about meeting together and why that's so important. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, we find these words, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Why does he say it's important for Christians to meet together? So that we can urge each other on to do what God calls us to do, of what it means to be a Jesus follower. One of my personal pet peeves, and some of you who maybe have tried to track what, how I describe, maybe you've picked up on this, I know a lot of churches, and I've said it, and I'll probably say it again, but a lot of churches describe the 9.30 hour, the 11.15 hour, the Saturday 5.30 time as services of the church. I typically don't describe those as our services. I describe them as our meetings, our worship gatherings, our worship times. Because you see, I don't want people to get under the false impression that they can check off their box. You know, I've served God this week. I went to service. I believe that our times together should not be identified as service. They should be identified as times to urge each other, to motivate each other, to spur one another to go out and serve and be the hands and feet of Jesus throughout the week. In fact, in many ways, I think our worship time should be like a locker room talk at halftime for a team sport. In high school, I played basketball and, and I loved playing the game and it probably didn't have a lot of uh, vision because of being short, but I thought I'd grow and so, but I loved the game of basketball. I didn't necessarily like the locker room talks, but sometimes I needed the locker room talk to get refocused on what I needed to do to be a member of the team so we could be effective together. I think our times together as a church are locker room talks to get us focused so that we go out and serve in the name of Jesus, our families, our neighbors, and each other. And that's why it's important for us to even to meet with other small groups during the week. In fact, this summer, even though some of the small groups aren't meeting every week, we're encouraging our small groups, get together for a cookout. Get together for a, a, a go to a restaurant together. Spend time with each other. Go serve together. I heard some people in the first hour said they were going to go serve this afternoon at the, at the gospel mission downtown Dayton. That's great. And we urge people, take some photos when you do that. And let's celebrate. So here's a couple of photos of some of the small groups just meeting together. Uh, even if they're not meeting every week, to stay connected with each other during the summer months. That's a cookout. And we want to urge those of you that are part of a small group, post those photos. And and, uh, hashtag SWCLifeTogether, and we'll celebrate them together. In fact... A couple weeks ago, my wife and I met with our small group that meets on Sunday night. We went out to eat. There was about 12 of us. We had a great time. We spent two hours together. I enjoyed getting to know, and I had such a good time, I forgot to take the picture, okay? But, uh, so I can't post it, but, but it's important that we do that together. Well, our time is up, I want to close out with one last verse. We're going to skip a couple, but look at that last verse in 1 John chapter 1. In verse 6, this is what the apostle John had to say about this doing life together theme we're talking about? In 1 John 1, 6 and 7, he says, so we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you see what John is saying? He's saying two things. He's saying, well, he's saying more than two things. But one thing he's saying, he's saying, don't claim to be a Christian if, if your life through the week is inconsistent with what we teach and practice. If you're living in the dark, don't claim you're Christian. Now, he's not saying quit being a Christian. He's just saying, get into the light and start living your life being open to others speaking into your life, living that life that you're called as a Jesus father. But he also says that if we claim to have fellowship with God, then what are we also called to? Fellowship with each other. You see, Christianity is not just about grabbing the Bible and going out in the woods and reading about Jesus and praying and thinking about it. Now, those are important times in our lives to have those quiet times. But Christianity is defined by not just our fellowship with God and Christ, but also our fellowship with each other. One of the important things we do as a church every weekend is communion. That is something we do with each other. We're gonna talk more about that next week, but have you ever thought about how you can't, uh, I sort of say you can't spell one without the other, but I guess you can, But, but have you ever noticed the similarities between communion and community? Communion is meant to be practiced in community. There's something powerful about taking that piece of bread, remembering the body of Jesus, that Jesus was real, that we're just not following a bunch of principles or ideas, but we're following a person. There's something powerful about that. To think about the Son of God and then to realize we're the body of Christ and we're following him together. We're in it together. And then when we take the cup to be reminded that we're all sinners and we all need to be forgiven. And we're all following a perfect Savior who died on the cross so that we could be forgiven. As we take communion today, let's be aware of each other. And let's be aware that this is something we do as the body of Christ. It's a way for us to be united in heart and in focus and in gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. Think about that as we observe this time of communion. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for your plan of sending your son to this earth. And Father, we are reminded of that. We take the, the bread and the cup that remind us of his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. And yet, Father, we thank you that not only did you invite us to follow him, but you invited us to do it together. Thank you for this act of worship, the spiritual discipline of communion that we celebrate together. Help us recognize, Father, each other, that we're in it together, And help us, Father, to be reminded that together we are the body of Christ on earth. Help us have that in our hearts now as we examine our hearts and lives and observe this time of communion. It's in Jesus we pray.